Okay. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and gathered the waters. And the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants with seed, with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced ve- vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days of year. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth, across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing which the water te- with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit and seed in it. They will be yours for food, and all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, 
I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made. It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating, creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And going to Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. I think my battery's still low, but I think it's going to work okay. Can you hear me? Excellent. Good morning. I will need your help, but not yet, okay? I'll let you know. I promise. All right. How many of you have ever given a party or planned a party? Yeah. So what do you have to do when you're having a party? What do you have to do to get ready? Say it again. Make a list. Yes, and count the number on the list. You have to, hmm? Order the pizza. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of things. And once you make your list and you figure out how many people uh, you're going to invite, then you have to send the invitations because then you get the number of people that are going to respond, right? So when you send out an invitation, it might look something like this. This one has the name of the person it's going to. It's got the person's name that it came from. It's got stamps on it. And inside it tells me all the important information that I'm surprised none of you told me, like when and where and what it's all about, right? You kind of need to know that stuff if you're going to have a party, right? Oh, we're going to have a party um, someday, someplace. But you're all invited. But you know what? That's kind of what God did. He invited us all to a party. He didn't give us an exact date or an exact time, but he's invited us. And he's been inviting us for thousands of years. Now, I have this lovely invitation. I've been invited to a party that John and Linda Daniels are going to celebrate their uh, 25th anniversary with a vow renewal, and they've invited me. Glad I didn't die. Whoa. I've never worn one of these before. Kind of cool. Oh, thanks. So you take it to the post office. The post office doesn't get to decide 
who they're going to deliver them to, do they? No, it's their job to deliver them. They can't say, well, we're just a little too busy today, so we'll maybe deliver that next week or next month. Or, oh, no, it's too icy or rainy or snowy or the mail must go, what's their slogan? Rain, no rain, no sleet, no whatever. Nothing will stop us from delivering the mail. So they have a job to do. It would be terrible if the invitation got here after the date. Then I wouldn't get on, on Lorna's list saying that I'm coming. That would be good, wouldn't be good because then I'd miss out on my pizza. That wouldn't be good either. But um, God has given us an invitation. But whose job is it to deliver it? The post office? Yes, us. We have the job of delivering it. And the, the message, the, the party, is a reunion with God. He says, come to me if you're hungry, if you're thirsty, if you're tired, if you're sick, if you're in need of anything. Come to me. That's what I'm here for. I love you. I love you so much that I sent my son to die for you. So come and join my party because I want you there. Now, there are a lot of ways we could deliver that message, and one of them I thought about doing was sticking a message in a bottle and throwing it out, but that doesn't work too well. A paper airplanes don't work too well. Putting it in a balloon and sending it up doesn't work too well. We have to literally invite people. So I'm going to ask Ben and Maya and Hayden and Xavier if they'll come up here and help me deliver some invitations to you so that you can deliver them to other people. So can you hand these out to people? Okay, give one to each person. There you go. Hand them out, one to each person. Go all the way to the back. Now feel free to make a prettier one than this. This was one that I just threw together quickly. Don't forget the people on the side over here. Hayden, why don't you go up this side? There's a whole bunch of people over there, all along the side there. Go, come around this way, Hayden. Come around this way. There you go. All the way up the side aisle. There you go. Ben, did you get everybody on that side? All right, get everybody over there. So we have a job to do, to let people know about God's love and to how much he wants to be in a relationship with us. I think I'll have to train my mail deliverers a little better. <laughs> but you know what? That's okay. It's getting there. That's true. It's true. If you didn't get one, raise your hand and somebody will bring you one. Somebody up front here hasn't gotten one. <laughs> you need two more? Uh, Hayden has a couple. Anybody else still need one? Uh, oh, in the back over there, Ben. Make sure everybody has one, Ben. 
All right, did everybody get one now? I did not. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have invited us to be part of your family, to be part of your celebration of life. Oh, Mr. Tim, Mr. Tim needs one. Thank you so much for giving us a job to do, for entrusting us with the important message to share with everyone. Help us to not be afraid to tell others how much you love them, to invite them into your family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that the whole earth is yours. There is nothing that is outside of your loving eye, and we pray that we will get to know you and your creation a little bit better this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So today is a special day in the church calendar. Did you know this? It is Trinity Sunday, and I love the Trinity, and I can never remember when Trinity Sunday is, so for this reason alone, I'm really glad that we're going through the lectionary this year to remind me that it's the Sunday after Pentecost. Um, Fortunately, we've already talked about the Trinity a little bit a few weeks ago, or maybe a couple months ago now, so I don't, we don't have to try to like explain it exactly, but we are going to think about this idea a little bit more. Um, we actually incorporate some things into our service every week that point to God as being a Trinity. Do you know what they are? Yes, that, so the, the Gloria Patri, and there's another thing. Oh, actually, that's the doxology. So the other one is the Gloria Patri. Both of these songs that we sing, we sing the one after the invocation and Lord's Prayer, that's the Gloria Patri, and then we sing the doxology after we do our tithes and offerings. And um, both of those are Trinitarian songs. If you were in a church that didn't believe in the Trinity, there are some of those, um, you would not hear those songs. So, um, someone want to recite to me the, the Gloria Patri lyrics? You got it, Toby. Yeah. Yes. Great. Glory, glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. I'm glad we don't say Holy Ghost anymore in normal talking, but as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. So Gloria Patri means, it's Latin, and it's an abbreviation of the song, and it basically means glory to the Father, but the song is clearly not just about God the Father. Um, what... It says, so glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. Clearly that's the Trinity. Then it says, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. Take a guess, as what was, 
God, the Trinity. The glory, yeah, everything. <laughs> right. I, I think the main point of the song is, this is a medieval song, it's really old. Um, as the Trinity was, as our God who does not change, was in the beginning, still is, is going to forever be, but also, then it says world without end. And I think the, what the song is basically saying is, and maybe it's good for us to think about what these songs that we sing every week are actually saying, right? Um, glory to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as God was in the beginning, and as God intended for the world to be in the beginning, may we reflect the glory of this three-in-one, loving, life-giving God as we did in the beginning, as creation did in the beginning. So, as it was in the beginning, God, who does not change. But also, the world, God intends the world to be without end, reflecting his glory, his love, his, all of his attributes as he intended from the beginning. The doxology is similar. Um, it says, it doesn't start with the Trinity, but it kind of does because it's, there are three praise things. So praise God from whom all blessings flow, all blessings, all the things, all of creation. Praise him, all creatures here below. So everything that God made, that God provided, let all of those things us, but everything else, also praise him. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts, so not just the stuff that God created that we can see, but also the spirits and the, all of the parts of the spiritual realm that we can't see, which God also created. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So there are three lines of praise, and then it talks about the Trinity again. Sometimes it's good to go all the way back to the beginning. Not the beginning of God, there is no such thing. God has always existed. But the beginning of creation before, not the, not the beginning of humans messing things up, but before that, the actual beginning. To remind ourselves who God is, who God was, and who God always will be, and also who we are and what this life was meant to be. In the beginning, Tom read for us, God created the heavens and the earth. And I had Tom read that whole very long passage. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> um, because at least I refer to this passage fairly often over the course of the last few years. And, but we always just kind of focus on the human part. And I think it's good for us to kind of sit under the words of this description of all this glorious creation that God made, all the things. It's not just about humans. It's about everything. God created everything. The one true God created everything. But we see hints of the Trinity even in the very, very beginning of the Bible. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It's interesting that the first person of the Trinity that is mentioned in the Bible is the Spirit. Last week we talked about how sometimes in some of our traditions we kind of forget the Holy Spirit because we're a little uncomfortable with that concept, but the Spirit is immediately identified as being part of the creation process. 
The, and the way that the spirit is described in this case is like a mother hen hovering over creation or a, a mother bird brooding over her nest. Um, this is an intentional thing. I think, I suspect that Jesus was sort of um, calling back to this idea when he talked about himself as a mother hen. You might remember that from our parables last year. Um, and so there's this nurturing part of God, this creative birthing kind of God, and then we get to another person of the Trinity, and God said. So in the Bible, in the New Testament, uh, in the Old Testament, God refers to God, all of God, and um, it's a little harder to pull apart the Trinity and the Jewish people, the Hebrew people didn't have an understanding of God as three in one, the way Christians do, but um, in the New Testament, oftentimes the writers will use the term God to refer to just the Father. Sometimes they mean the whole Trinity, and sometimes they mean just the Father, but I think for our purposes today, we can talk about this, and God said, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters, and God, the Father, said, and there was. We know from John chapter 1 that Jesus is described not only as the Son of God, uh, but as the Word of God, proceeding from the Father. And so we can see the Spirit is hovering and nurturing and um, maybe incubating creation, and God the Father is speaking creation, and Jesus, the Word, is actually making it by going forth in other parts of the New Testament um, I think it's in Colossians 1. Somebody describes Jesus as all things being made by him and for him and through him. So every part of the Trinity is involved in the act of creation. <clears throat> in John 1, it says, through him all things were made. And so we can think of this in light of this chapter. Light and darkness, day and night, sea and sky, dry land and vegetation, sun, moon, stars, fish, birds, land animals, and humans. Um, something to note. <laughs> when we look at Genesis 1 and 2, we need to remember, as I frequently remind us in other passages, that the Bible is written for us, but not to us. And not only for us, either. So, when we read the Bible, we bring our own ideas and the past history of humankind that we know about and all of the, th and our culture and all of the things. And so there have been for really way too long um, arguments about, you know, was the world really created in seven 24-hour little rural days or was it created over billions and billions of years or um, like, did evolution happen, or did God create everything specifically? And the Bible doesn't talk about that. The Bible is not written, never has been written, with a whole bunch of people who lived, who exist after the Enlightenment period in Europe, which happened in the 1600s, which is when this stuff even started to matter. Um, it wasn't written with those things in mind because people weren't thinking in those terms. The point of 
Genesis 1 especially, is not to try to prove God to a whole bunch of people who didn't believe in God and explain exactly how God did it. That's what we think we need. But that is not what most of the people in most of history have been looking for. The point, when this was written, is everybody believed in God in that time period. Everybody believed in at least one God. Most people believed in a whole bunch of gods. And they believed that light and darkness and sea and sky and dry land and vegetation and sun, moon and stars and fish and birds and land animals were gods. So the point of Genesis 1 is there is one true God who made literally everything that exists, even the things that all these other people are worshiping. Those beings, even if they have spiritual entities behind them, even if they are powerful, even if, you know, like, you want your crops to grow and you can make some kind of grain offering and hope that the god of grain will make your plants grow nicely, um, those are not real gods. That is the point of Genesis 1. God made all this stuff. And it was good. So the, the other point, I think, underlying it is not that... so. It is saying, none of this stuff that is made is God. But that doesn't mean it's bad. It's good, because God made it. There is only one God who is king of everything. So, let me ask a question, just because it's a little complicated, um, but, and if this raises doubts in your mind, feel free to, we can talk about this some more, but like I mentioned earlier, there are some people who don't believe that God exists as three persons in one being, and um, the Jews don't believe this, and so have Christians actually diminished the biblical truth of the one God who created everything by talking about Trinity? Why not? <laughs> okay. <laughs> that it's still not one. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, God isn't just this wrap our minds around. Right. Sometimes it is good to realize that God is bigger than us, so we can't wrap our minds around. We did talk about that before. Here's something else to keep in mind, and maybe this is because of what Tim just said, which I'm not going to try to replicate because I don't know if I can, but that was helpful info, um, which I didn't know, which is why I can't replicate it. <laughs> um, it was Jewish people first who came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah and not just an anointed human like they were all expecting, but actually 
the Son of God somehow one with the God that they knew. And so they are the first ones who came up with these Trinitarian ideas that Jesus himself expressed. So when we read this idea of God being one God but with three persons, if we read it back into the Old Testament and the Hebrew Bible, it actually unlocks true things for us to know, even in the Hebrew Bible, that not even the original readers or hearers would have necessarily understood. This is why we can see each person of the Trinity distinctly, but also united all the way in the very beginning, as it was in the beginning. And why we need to know about the Trinity and the Trinity's role in creation is it actually gives us a hint about who God is and what God's purpose is for creating us. God exists in community within himself. So, I think I've mentioned this here before, love cannot exist if there's only one entity. If God were just one person, like we are, and was the only being at all, ever, God could not love because there would never have ever been anything else. There wouldn't have been any difference. There wouldn't have been anything to love. So we have a God whose nature is love, and so of course that God exists Somehow, we can't wrap our minds around it, but of course that God exists in community within himself. And since that's true, he loves, his love within himself is so, among the three persons of the Trinity, is so perfect and pure and overflowing that it wants to create and make more and more things to love including all the way up to the point of creating some creature that could reflect God and love the rest of creation the way God does. This was the point of creating humans in creation. He wanted to include humans in his own community. That's crazy. But it's what it says here. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is God is actually commanding the humans to do what he would do if he were here in person. He is giving us that commission. And because we're on the other side of having sinned, of having rebelled against God, of trying to be God ourselves, or trying to make the created things be God for us, we don't rule creation well. We don't interact with each other well. We really make a mess of it. And so when we read this passage now in the sin world, we think, fill the earth and subdue it? That sounds horrible and oppressive. But that's not who God is. God is perfect, pure love within himself, overflowing to us. And so 
the whole story is to get back to what God intended in the beginning. We have a sinful human legacy, so sinful that our loving God arrived in person, first of all, to show us what kind of creature he intended to be, intended us to be. Okay, so you guys were supposed to love your creation and love each other the way I do, and you're not. So let me come down there, just like you, and show you what that looks like. And he died on the cross to forgive us for all the sins that were keeping us from living that kind of life that we were created to have. So, in the church year, we spend one-third of the year focusing on how Jesus accomplished this, how God accomplished this through Jesus. And so we have the Christmas, we have the Advent season, and then we have the Christmas season, and then we have... The, and then we have Lent, and then we have Easter, and then we have Pentecost, which was last week. And so you would think that now this season that we're in would be called Pentecost, right? Because all the other seasons are named after their holidays that either just happened or that they're looking forward to. But no, this season is called Ordinary Times. <laughs> Does that sound like a letdown? <laughs> why, any thoughts on why this is called ordinary time? Okay, right, there are no major holidays in this period up until Advent now. We have a big stretch of time until Advent, but, well, we, we do need a break. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, but I don't think so. Here's my theory. I didn't look this up, so maybe I'm wrong. But it's a good reason if this isn't the reason. We have been looking for the past third of the year at how God came to bring things back, how the one God, past, present, and future, came here to bring us back, reconciled to him, so that we can start to be the people, the creatures, the humans made in his image to reflect his love to each other and the world around us. Pentecost just happened. That means that if we are, if we have given our lives to Jesus, if we have said, Jesus, yep, you can be the boss, I give you my whole life, it's yours, then we have the Holy Spirit living inside us to empower us, that Holy Spirit who hovered over creation at the beginning, hovering inside us, nurturing us, making us new creations in Jesus Christ. So, ordinary time, during this time, the scripture readings for ordinary time are both Old Testament readings kind of bringing you back to the beginning, to remember where we've been, but also um, it is the time where we as followers of Jesus are saying, look, I am a new creation. I am following Jesus, and I'm allowing the Spirit to transform me, and I am going to try to live in the regular, everyday world, which is what God wanted us to have. I'm going to live that life 
in ordinary time. I don't need a holiday to celebrate to make myself a Christian. I don't need a holiday to make my faith special. It's in the ordinary time where the rubber meets the road, where it becomes clear, are we following Jesus or not? So Jesus actually, this is the, the last thing I'm going to say, that Jesus commissioned his disciples and through his disciples us in the short Matthew passage that Tom read. It's almost, it's not the same command that God gives the man and the woman in the Garden of Eden, but it's really kind of similar. Before Jesus returns to the Father, he calls his 11 remaining male disciples, minus Judas, together, and he commissions them, and he says, Go, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He means Jesus himself, God, and human, because we are supposed to reflect God in the world. All authority has been given to him. And so then he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is with us. The Father is with us. The Spirit is in us. The whole Trinity is with us recreating us into new people, thinking, acting, and speaking like Jesus. So, as we celebrate communion today, let's keep in mind not just the suffering and death that this commemorates and symbolizes, but also what it was for. It's not just so we can go to heaven when we die. It's not even just so we can be reconciled to God. It is so that we can begin to live God's life here and now already before Jesus comes back, even in ordinary time. Let's thank him for his sacrifice for us as we sing our communion hymn. But first, let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for being our loving, fully united three-in-one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We rejoice in you. We want to glorify your name, both in our words and in our lives. We ask that you will continue your transformation of us and that we will see extraordinary things happen through our church and in our lives in ordinary time. In Jesus' name, amen.